Hello and welcome to the Mindcast, exploring crisis services. My name's Matt Wilkinson and with me today is volunteer Rachel. Rachel, how would you describe your mental health? I, I've never really got a proper diagnosis. I've been diagnosed with lots of things over the years. Essentially, it's depression, anxiety, but that doesn't cover really how fundamentally it has affected my life. I see it as something which is very serious. There's no getting around the fact it, it is very serious. It's, I'm not someone with minor mental health difficulties, but it also doesn't define who I am as a person and I'm not in crisis 12 months of the year. Crisis has happened to everyone, to anyone with mental health problems and sometimes people who don't have mental health problems. So what do you understand by the term being in a crisis? For me, really, it's whether or not I feel as if I am at risk of committing suicide. But everyone has their own way of describing crisis. It means a different thing for everyone. Um, for me personally, that is the sort of clincher of what a crisis is. And how much do you feel in control in situations when you're in crisis? And how much are you depending on other people? Yeah, I, I think when it really hits, it is a lack of control. You lose control or the fear of losing control, not knowing at which point I can trust my own actions and myself. Uh, that's when I feel like I'm in crisis. And there's certainly been times when I've been in crisis where I've definitely been out of control without a shadow of a doubt. But um, I try to hang on very strongly to my job uh, when I had a crisis last year. So I really try to keep going. But there comes a point where you no longer can. I think for most people, it falls apart and you cling on and you cling on and you cling on. And I think that's probably one of the, the hardest part um, relating to mental health and employment is that because you can't really often acknowledge that your feelings are so bad that this struggling to try and keep your head above water then it encourages the crisis to, to take place. When you've been in a crisis, what kind of professional help did you get? The first crisis in 2008, it was a bit of a shambles really. Uh, we, I was living in a student house um, and my best friend was largely looking after me. She would often end up having to call paramedics. She was very worried about my well-being. She thought that I needed to be in hospital, uh, as did my mum. And we regularly had paramedics at our house and the police. And it was all a bit of a drama. And I had to go to accident and emergency very regularly. But I found getting help in that situation was very, very difficult. And on many different levels, quite a distressing experience for me. And why is that? Well, from the start off, the most basic is having to be you're in a psychological crisis and you're sat with people, for example, on a Friday or a Saturday night who are drunk, drunken injuries. I've been groped in accident and emergency during a crisis. You know, um, a guy got out and started going to the toilet on the floor once right next to me. Um, they're just really not what you need. <laughs> That's really not what you need when you're in a crisis. Um, and then I have found that once you get seen by a psychiatrist, um, they they can be very dismissive and you really have to kind of con convince them. I found I really had to try and convince them that I was ill enough to be in inpatient care. And I, this carried on over a period of months and it seemed um, 
I still can't really understand, like is in Mind's report, why the patient isn't listened to and why their opinion isn't given as much clout as it should be. So what were the reasons that were given for not accepting you as an inpatient at the time when you were in accident and emergency? Several things. Uh, Funnily enough, never beds. Beds was never the issue. I was told it was an inappropriate place for me, that it would only make me worse. And having experienced it, I, I do see those arguments. I do understand what those arguments are. But if you are at risk to yourself, you should be admitted full stop, in my opinion. And I, and I think psychiatrists would agree with that. But it's whether they actually think you are a risk to yourself. And it's how they define that. And it certainly seemed to me sometimes that unless you have made some sort of tangible attempt at hurting yourself, then it's not believed that you would hurt yourself. And I think that sets a very dangerous precedent. And and it's a bit of a self-perpetuating cycle because it makes people do things which are cries for help, which then undermines what psychiatrists think about what people are doing. And it for me, I think it's it's quite risky to to not believe someone when they say they want to hurt themselves. I think that's that's something where the patient has to be listened to. Do you think the problem is is that there might be times when the patient isn't actually as bad as what they're saying? Yeah, definitely. I can only speak from my experience, but also people I have met along the way and spoken to and have found that the issue with suicidal thoughts and suicidal actions has has come up in in a lot of conversations I've had but I do think there's a difference between someone just saying something and in my case you know they had the notes they could see that I had a long-term history of mental illness you know I don't really understand why you would then not listen to that person they obviously haven't just rolled up and made it up my friend and my mum would often be with me and they would say, you know, Rachel needs help. And they would also be ignored. And yeah, it feels that the, the family and friends who are around someone the whole time, if there's questions over when someone's going through a crisis, whether they can really be totally, I don't want to say believed, because I, I hate the concept that you wouldn't be believed in, in a crisis. But there's obviously some issues when someone is in crisis as to a how in control they are but if the family and friends are saying they need help then surely they should get it really but it it depends what the person at the time decides you you have particularly with me without a set diagnosis and I have been in the past diagnosed as having the very suspiciously named personality disorder which I fundamentally disapprove of as a diagnosis and think at the very least needs to be renamed But the psychiatrists then say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. And when someone's suicidal, telling them that you can't make them better ever is, (laughs) it's not a very good idea, I would say. And I suppose a problem you get if you go to A&E and they refuse you, and then you go home, you're more likely to have another crisis. And if they keep refusing you, you're going to have these crises, which is totally unhelpful, correct? Exactly. You get more and more and more and more and more and more hopeless. You're just caught in this endless cycle that you do for months on end. Paramedics coming, them telling you that they will definitely admit you. Going to accident, emergency, waiting, calming down, them seeing you, not admitting you. You know, going for hours and hours, getting home at six o'clock in the morning, having just been waiting there. It just went on for months. 
that doesn't make you feel better at all. But the fact that there doesn't seem, or at least I know in London there are uh, voluntary alternatives to that. But at the time in Manchester, there was really nothing else available and that needs to be changed. What would you say is your preferred method of being helped when you're in a crisis? Well, I don't think it necessarily... Well, it does exist at the moment. I think crisis houses, which do exist but far too few of them, uh, is the obvious best solution. I also think possibly a separate part of accident and emergency for people going through psychiatric crises. I just don't think they should be mixed with people who are just drunk and disorderly or who are going to sort of laugh at them or not or misunderstand their problems. So either just a separate part of accident emergency or just direct referral. For example, the crisis team in my area now, it says on the website you can make self-referrals, but that's absolutely not true. So to get a referral to the crisis team or the home treatment team, you have to go to accident and emergency if it's outside of GP working hours, which I don't think is the best route. I think the crisis team should be self-referrable. And so have you had experience with a crisis team? I have, yeah. And do they come to your home? They do. Do they arrive in five minutes with uh, blue lights flashing and sirens blasting just like paramedics? Or <laughs> nothing like that at all? No. Uh, they, that would be nice if they did. But they just come, they do an assessment. Essentially, they just come and check on you every day, check you're okay and that you're coping okay. I had some talking therapy when I was with them, which was, was helpful, but they can only see you for such a short amount of time. And the referrals they make, it takes so long for those to come to fruitation. So I do think crisis teams are a really good thing, definitely. But I think the referral to them needs to be more accessible for people. Have you been treated as an inpatient in a time of crisis? I have. Uh, I've been a private inpatient and an NHS inpatient, and they're both last year. What's it like from an NHS point of view? Well, I'd really heard some horror stories Um and was really quite scared of going into an NHS ward. And I didn't find those horror stories to be true. But there were definitely problems and there's definitely ways in which it could be improved from really basic things such as dirty, really, really dirty. And more the fact I found it to be like a holding cell, like as a place of safety. Yes, you are to some extent safe, the checks they do are fairly rigorous but in terms of any sort of recovery I didn't find where I stayed I didn't find anyone had time to talk to you even say really how are you until I think it was about three days in when I had a proper chat with someone and that struck me as very very strange and the activities they did have activities but they were very much catered for There were some very, very seriously ill people there and I found the activities were very much focused towards them. Not to say I wasn't seriously ill, it's hard to to negotiate the wording around basically uh, people having psychotic episodes, people who are suicidal, but it's, it's people with very different needs and in very different emotional states and all the activities seemed to just want to push everyone together and it just doesn't work you can't put people on such wildly different spectrums of where they are together and expect it to be therapeutic for really anyone involved looking back on your inpatient time last Mm. year 
how appropriate do you feel that was for your need at the time and what else might have worked? The facilities I was pretty impressed by. There was a nice living room, you could go out to a courtyard, which with me as a smoker made a big difference. You had your own room. You know, facilities-wise, it was great, but in terms of my needs, I needed someone to talk to more than anything. And they always said, you know, if you need to talk, come and talk, it's fine. But they were so busy that I personally just didn't feel I could really ask. They were very unwelcoming, really. And I don't blame them personally for that. They were obviously desperately understaffed and there just wasn't time for talking to people. I also found that in terms of multiple needs, I think there is an argument of having different wards for people suffering with sort of depression, personality disorders, suicidal tendencies to those who are in acute psychotic episodes. I'm very much aware of the issues around this and about the fact that it could be regarded as some sort of psychological or mental illness hierarchy, which I think definitely should be avoided. But, you know, patients were at times abusive and it was really scary. And I have no level of judgment for anyone for while they're going through those periods. But when I was that ill, having to manage people saying things to me which were abusive or behaving in ways that were scary that was very difficult for me to manage it really was so in summary in what ways would you improve in patient care in a crisis more talking therapy more diverse activities fundamentally different facilities or different wards need to cater for different needs rather than a simple where beds available, male-female situation, I just don't think you can just throw everyone together under the umbrella of mental illness, which covers a huge variety, a massively diverse area of things and needs and uh, and how people act and what, what will help them recover and throw them all together in a boiling pot and expect that to work for everyone. I don't feel that could work. Okay, now let's just ask... What... And food. <laughs> Better food or more food? Better food. Better food. Awful. Now, you were talking about Manchester earlier. Yeah. What was the difference in sort of care, the level of service you got somewhere like Manchester compared mm. to London? Yeah, uh, there's something I feel quite strongly about, actually, because, honestly, I don't like London very much. Like, I would much rather live in Manchester. Um services in Manchester are horrendous. In your opinion? In my opinion, yeah. Very much in my opinion and at the time I experienced them, services in Manchester were not very good. And I do feel, as in a lot of ways, London, the services get funded better, that it's more centralised, they get more attention than particularly up in the north of England and I think that's really wrong and it shouldn't be a postcode lottery as to where you live, as to how good the services are. Have you used any uh, voluntary run crisis services? No. Um, interestingly, 
I tried to use one which I've heard very good things about. It's the Maytree service based very near me in London and I've heard people who've been really positive about it. But unfortunately for me, and this is something that's actually come up quite a lot in crises from lots of different angles. People say, your your history is too complex. They wouldn't take me in because they said we're too much of a short-term solution. And I've come across that a lot of times in accident emergency, doctors, various services that can be offered. They say, you need longer-term help. Your history is too complex. And my response to that is, well, yes, I do need longer-term help, but I also happen to need it now. And just saying you're not going to get any help because you need longer-term help, it's not really a solution. And how would you evaluate uh, the state of crisis services that you've experienced, the broad range? Accident emergency, like I say, I feel can be very unhelpful at certain times when you're in crisis. The crisis team can be really good and I would encourage people to go down that route if they feel they are safe but fundamentally if someone does not feel they are safe they should be admitted to inpatient care and they shouldn't have to argue their case for that that should be a given. Finally Rachel when you're in a moment of crisis what one thing do you most need from other people be it friends or family? It's understanding, it, but they can't, they can't understand, they often can't understand, so empathy, I suppose. A hug. <laughs> to know you're loved, I think, and to know that, despite the fact that you may be acting like this, quote, marks, crazy person, that you're still loved, and I think that that's the most important thing, and that no one's gonna, you know, disown you for being difficult. Yeah, love, love. Rachel, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me.